Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded, from Disaster Recovery Journal and its flawless business resilience. Now, here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn. Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn, the founder and chief resilience officer of Asphalus Advisors. We have an accomplished guest lined up for you today speaking on the topic of stress hacks. Let's jump right in and meet our guest, Dr. Heidi Hanna, the chief energy officer of Synergy. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And by the way, I love your title, Chief Resilience <laughs> Officer. That's so cool. I didn't think of that one. but <laughs> We like to absorb the energy and bounce back. That's right. That's right. Yes. So can you tell our listeners more about you and how you got into the world of brain-based health? Yes. I think like most people that probably get into this field, it was because I felt like my own brain was broken and I was trying to figure it out. So I actually started having a lot of difficulty really young, around the age of 10 to 12, with panic attacks. And I had stomach aches and headaches, and I actually started fainting. And my parents took me to the doctor and ran all sorts of tests. And ultimately, they came back and said, it's stress, which is pretty confusing for a 10 to 12-year-old to hear you know, that they've got a stress problem. So that kind of kept showing up throughout my life uh, in different ways and manifested in a lot of different challenges that's probably more than 20 minutes of time. But it made me really interested in understanding how someone could have so much information and be successful. I was on a full-ride scholarship for sports in college. I mean, I was doing well in a lot of ways, but internally I was still really, really struggling with anxiety and depression and things like that. So I wanted to figure it out. And every angle I kind of went at from nutrition to exercise physiology to psychology, I felt like it gave me some of the answers, but it still left me with more questions. So I feel really fortunate that throughout my journey, I've been able to meet some really fascinating teachers and researchers. And there's kind of this new field now evolving of integrative neuroscience, which is pulling all of those pieces together and understanding the way that the brain helps us or hurts us when it comes to things like energy management and resilience. So... I did some digging on you last Uh-oh. night, and Uh-oh. you are an accomplished businesswoman and have contributed a lot from a global perspective on, on this space. Can you yeah. help our listeners un- understand who you are, what your background has been in, the types of companies that you've worked for, and how you support your customers? Yeah, so this is like the hardest question ever. <laughs> I feel super stressed Brag now. Brag on yourself. Brag. <laughs> is, it, is it hot in here all of a sudden? Um, again, I feel like super fortunate. I actually, um, pretty soon out of college, discovered this organization called the Human Performance Institute, which is actually based here in Orlando. I lived here for 10 years after I was actually a... Disney character for a while, but that's, again, a whole nother story. Um, But I started working for the Human Performance Institute, and it was this really cool combination, again, of performance psychology with nutrition, with fitness. And it was really through them and my mentors there of getting this incredible opportunity to start speaking and traveling around the world. And it makes me laugh because I remember my interview with the president at the time. And he said, you know, you'll have all these great opportunities to be on stages and see the world. And my anxiety was so bad because my two biggest fears were public speaking and flying. (laughs) So that is not what I wanted to do. 
And I guess maybe ironically, it's what I ended up doing. So here I am now teaching how to manage your energy. I'm up on these big stages and I am having daily panic attacks. I ended up hospitalized a couple of times. I was pushing myself so hard because on one hand, I'm like, I have this incredible opportunity to do this. How could I not do this? But on the other hand, these were literally the things I struggled with throughout my childhood of like performing at high levels and really not building building in enough recharge time. And that became a huge part of what I learned with the Human Performance Institute being there for almost 10 years. I had a couple things happening really at the same time. One was my own challenges working with these great companies. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Google, Starbucks, you know, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, professional athletes. I've spoken for the PGA Tour, the NFL. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. And at the same time, I've had three grandparents with Alzheimer's disease, and it was that kind of tipping point for me where I thought, okay, all this damage that I'm doing to my body and my brain, like I'm trying to teach people this, but I'm struggling, what is this doing long term? I started looking at the research on really neuroscience and so much that we know about how to build a healthier, more resilient brain that people just weren't talking about. And so that really became my passion was to put these somewhat complicated ideas about integrative neuroscience into super practical applications that people can really understand and immediately start to take action on. And then in order to do that, of course, I have to actually walk the talk. So I've been very committed to you know, managing my own energy more effectively. So which Disney character were you? <laughs> <laughs> I always like people to guess. I, I'm actually not allowed to say. I probably shouldn't have even said that. They're probably the Disney police are like going to bang on the door in a second because we're not even supposed to say that. Yeah. So um, especially since no one can see me, I'll, I'll just leave that a mystery. But I'll awesome. tell you afterwards. Okay. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, by the time you hear this podcast, the conference will be wrapped up and we'll be getting ready for fall. However, I had the pleasure of sitting in front of Dr. Hannah right now in Orlando, Florida. So we're getting Disney vibes from yes. where we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. There was a lot of memories that came flooding back in the uh, Orlando airport last night, I got to say. Because wow. this is really where I started yeah. so much of this journey. And, and it's interesting. I actually grew up in Oregon. I went to school in Pennsylvania. I lived in Orlando for 10 years. Now I'm based in San Diego. So I've kind of, you know, moved around a lot. But each time I go into an airport, you know, there was that period of time where I was literally traveling so much. Even to this day, I don't really know all the places I've been, but I'll get to an airport and it's like, oh, I remember this, this feeling or this energy, right? This vibe that I had in that space. And that kind of, again, goes back to this idea of we can challenge ourselves and we can put ourselves in, in difficult situations, even those that stress us out, as long as we have the capacity to cope and be effective. And I feel like that's what's missing for so many people is that they either think I'm supposed to get rid of stress which is ridiculous because actually that's stressful. We need stress to challenge us and help us grow. Or they don't realize the value of these really small shifts that we can make to recharge our own battery. We panic when our cell phone battery you mm. know, goes down, but we don't really think about like the battery in our own brain and in our own body and how important that is to charge throughout the day. So what is stress? <laughs> One of my favorite questions. <laughs> 
I love stress so much because it's this really interesting, complicated, mysterious thing that we talk about all the time, but most people don't really know what it is. So from a really kind of classical definition by Hans Selye, who actually started the American Institute of Stress, where I do some work now, it's the nonspecific response to a perceived threat. And it's like people go, okay, that's interesting. Like maybe I read that in a textbook one day, but what does that mean for me? (laughs) So I like to define it as what happens when demand exceeds capacity. Mm. Anytime demand exceeds capacity, it could be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social, there's an energy required to help us bridge that gap. And that's a good thing when it's temporary. And a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today in the workshop is understanding the difference between acute stress and chronic stress. So all the statistics we hear, stress is responsible for 75 to 90 percent of medical visits. Stress is costing the U.S. economy over 600 billion dollars a year. All this negative stuff we hear, which actually makes us more stressed, is not really like the emergency that happens in the moment that we have to cope with. It's waking up every day feeling like we don't have enough time or we don't have enough energy, Um, dealing with a chronic illness. It's the long-term everyday stuff that really changes the way the body and the brain react to stress and really kind of hijack us from being able to respond effectively. So I love talking about stress because I like people to think about their own relationship with stress. I do that in three kind of simple steps. Your stress load, which is demand versus capacity. Your stress lens, which is super important and probably the most modifiable thing, which is your perception of what's happening and mindset training. And then your stress signature, which is how stress shows up for you personally. And the clearer you get with that piece, the quicker you can adjust or adapt more effectively to what you're dealing with. When demand exceeds capacity. Yeah, that's the short answer. I like that. (laughs) I gave you the long answer. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I am an entrepreneur, and I work with a lot of other folks that are in the business world, and I think that we do that a lot. We bring on too much on our plate, and then I'm overwhelmed, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I don't have any balance. I'm I'm not spending time with family or with kids or I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not going to the gym and all that sounds like stress. It is because, you know, again, looking at demand and capacity, you've got more and more demand and less capacity. And that tends to be what people do. When I have a lot to do, I take care of myself less because I don't have the time. And we are really obsessed with time. And I think time obviously is super important, but time is void of value when we don't bring energy. And so if we can focus on that more and kind of think about our life as a series of sprints instead of a marathon, then we recognize that me coming here to have a conversation with you for a half an hour requires me to go to the gym for 45 minutes because for me, that's the only way my brain comes online. But another piece I think is so important, especially for entrepreneurs, is remember that demand is not necessarily bad. It's just demand. And so I think there was a realization in my own life that passion is a demand. You know, to come in and do a great job and have high energy level is a demand. And so if you're not oscillating with downtime, you literally cannot sustain that. And I feel like going back to the story I was telling earlier about my own kind of 
burning out and breaking down. It's like, I don't want to say no to these opportunities because they're so amazing. So I push and push and push and I love what I do. So why is it when I get home three days later, I'm depressed and don't want to get out of bed? It's not that suddenly I'm a depressed person or I'm not grateful for the opportunities. It's that my capacity is weakened. So it's not, I think, and I think that's an important thing for everyone to understand is stress is not bad or good. It is an energy, it is information, it's potentially a resource that can help us, but we have to build in that downtime or we will burn out. And this is a problem everywhere. And entrepreneurs in particular, I could do a whole interview just on entrepreneurs and stress. Entrepreneurs in particular are tend to be hardwired to have more challenges with mental and emotional health. It's also what drives us, but it's also can be a vulnerability if we're not taking care of ourselves. So you talked about brain and body. How does stress impact the brain and body? I think if we go back to that kind of acute versus chronic, I like to think about it like type 1 and type 2 diabetes. You know, you have acute type 1 in the moment, have to do something. You're really fueled primarily by adrenaline, which stays in your system for a short period of time, about 30 minutes. So you either handle the situation in 30 minutes or it shifts to a chronic stress type 2 situation. And the reason that's important is because it impacts the brain and body differently. So with mostly adrenaline in your system, you feel that fight or flight reaction, you're energized by it, maybe you know thinking about that as passion, it's a positive thing. It improves memory, focus, attention, immune function, like all this great stuff. But when that shifts to type 2 chronic stress, it not only changes the chemistry with things like cortisol, which can be really toxic to the brain and body, it starts to rewire the way that the brain perceives the world around you. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things. So the part of the brain that's reactive, the amygdala area, which really kind of controls our fear reactions, starts to strengthen and even grow in capacity. And the areas like the prefrontal cortex that help us to problem solve effectively start to atrophy. So it's almost like you're taking this, you know, hyper reactive part of your brain and strengthening it. And then you're taking the part that's supposed to help you navigate through stress and you're shrinking it down. And I think that, again, that's important to realize not to worry about it if, you know, people say, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, messing up my brain, but realize that the brain is highly adaptable. So if you do start to train it differently and take care of your brain, it will recorrect itself and you can actually strengthen the part that's been weakened, just like training, you know, muscles in the body. So you talked about <laughs> negative news. <laughs> <laughs> what entrepreneurs do to ourselves, you know, just in terms of working hard and then I think about active shooters, yeah. data breaches, supply chain disruptions the political environment, just the world we live in today that has just drastically changed. Mm. Why are we so stressed out? <laughs> uh, I think you just answered your own question. So keeping it simple, you've got, you've got all that, and especially people in this industry are looking at that all the time and having to pay attention all the time. Uh, once upon a time, I wanted to be in media. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. And I am so grateful I didn't. Because in order to do that, you have to be 10 steps ahead. you got to be watching this stuff all the time. And that 
leaves an imprint on your brain. So I think what's important about that is not that you ignore what's going wrong, but you have to also focus on what's going right. Mm -hmm. You have to pay attention to the positive. And Mr. Rogers said it really well, and I'm sure I'll butcher the quote, but it's like in the worst of times, it's where you also see the best in people. And so I think it's important to to strategically look at that and look for what's going right. The other thing I would say is I've started to call this a sick problem, S-I-C, and that is we're dealing with a lot of stimulation, information, and connection. And those are all positive things when we have them in the right amount, but the amount we have right now is too much. And so it becomes addictive. It's hard to put our mobile devices down. And people are always talking about, well, I'm just killing time. You know, it's like, well, we're complaining that we don't have enough time, but then we're killing time, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling on these devices. And we're absorbing a lot of that information. So I think there's a lot of components. It's why it's important for people to kind of go inside and think about their own relationship with stress and what's causing this. And the thing I would say again is not that any of those are bad, but that we have to look again at demand versus capacity and we need, we desperately need downtime. And for most people, that's super uncomfortable. People will go on a diet, they'll go to the gym, but the last thing they want to do is like close their eyes and meditate or listen to some calming music because it's uncomfortable to slow down. So it's uncomfortable because of the demand. Yeah, that's part of it, for sure. It's uncomfortable because in our mind, we're going, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for this, right? And I would go back to, again, what's the story you're telling yourself? Mm. Is it time or is it energy? And by the way, 30,000 people I interviewed last year, the number one stressor was the perception that there's not enough time to get it all done. And when we wake up in the morning, myself included, and think there's not enough time to get it all done, her brain is now hijacked into that chronic stress state. And I see every head in here nodding for the rest of the day. So we have to, especially first thing in the morning, take ownership. I call this being the boss of your own brain. Your brain tells you that. You acknowledge it. Thanks, brain. You're trying to help me out, you know, get things done. I appreciate that. But before I think about what I need to do, I'm going to think about who I want to be. And I'm going to spend five minutes, 10 minutes listening to a song that inspires me, going for a walk outside, whatever it is to anchor yourself in this notion that it's not the time we have as much as the energy we bring to the time that we have. And that's the only way it's going to be sustainable. I start my day with affirmations and mm. I have had to in order to keep myself centered. Yeah. And the one thing I say every day is I don't make time, I create time. Mm. And I've seen a shift in my own energy and how I approach my day. So thinking about mm -hmm. strategies and going back to our topic on stress hacks, yeah. what are your top mindset hacks to better manage stress? What can we do as that everyday person where we are like, oh my God, Heidi, that's mm -hmm. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much everybody, myself included, again, I listen to, to what I'm saying. So I would go to your example um, to start with, which is what do you do first thing in the morning to anchor your day and who you want to be? So affirmations are a great way to do that. My question to you would be, do you ever go back to that? So you've anchored in your affirmation. Do you actually schedule time in your calendar to go back to either an affirmation or just connecting back with that intention that you set in the morning? Probably around lunchtime or around mm -hmm. 2 o'clock yeah. because I get up at 4.30 in the morning and then by 2, 2.30, my brain is fried. Mm. So I'll, I'll typically go walk my dog, leave my phone, nice, or 
I write my affirmations and mm -hmm. I speak them out loud and look in the mirror and that gives me my next boost of energy. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> but so not a, every day. Not Okay. I was going to say, I mean, that's super <laughs> impressive if you did all of that, right? Every day. So you you get to the point, you've got a beautiful morning ritual, which I would say is, is number one, most important. And there's five I'm going to talk about, but number one is your morning ritual. The challenge is you wait until your brain is fried and then you go, okay, I need something now. Which so what reactive. if you, it's reactive, right? So it's good, but what if you strategically now that you've got the morning down said, okay, I'm going to plug into my schedule twice. Let's start with once. Okay. One time during the day. And I would say 10 o'clock, right? Don't wait till two, three o'clock when all of us are feeling that fried. Like when are you going to build in those breaks? So I would say the two most important are morning ritual and evening, right before you go to bed, what I call bedtime prep time, which is how do you prepare your brain to sleep? Because most people go and go and go and go and go, and then they can't figure out why they can't sleep at night. Like your brain needs that transition time to sleep effectively. So if you like, listen again, listen to a song, there's so many ways to do this. I have a reflection meditation people can find on YouTube, and it kind of walks you through like the positive things of your day and thinking about what went well to turn off the monkey mind that's saying like, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time. Check one more email, do one more thing, right? So there's those bookends to your day and then how we eat, how we move, and how we take breaks. And it's not even as much what we do as how we do it. Mm. How do you eat? Are you eating calmly and mindfully? Are you scarfing down food in your car at your desk? Do you move? At least every 90 minutes, you should be moving your body just to get circulation going for a few minutes. And then how do you take breaks? So like you said, going back to the affirmations, I keep bringing this up music because it's such a trigger to kind of the core of the brain. It can take us emotionally to a place that we want to go. So you can use music strategically to lift your energy or even lower it if you need to be calm. So I think getting clear on, again, what recharges my battery and can I be strategic to do that these five times during the day? So just to, to repeat that morning, evening, and then how we eat, how we move, and how we take breaks. And constantly thinking about, am I the boss of my own brain? Because your brain, I believe, is your greatest asset. And if you're not really treating it nicely, it's going to take you on a roller coaster ride. So two things I will definitely take away, boss of brain, B-O-B, <laughs> yeah. -B, yeah. and then correct me if I'm wrong, nighttime prep time. Yeah, bedtime prep time. Bedtime yeah. prep time. You guys have that? Boss of brain, <laughs> bedtime prep time. That's right. That's Can't right. forget it. So how can people build a more resilient mindset? Hmm. Resilience is such an interesting thing, too. I was thinking about that as I was preparing for my workshop today. I think about resilience as the ability to effectively prepare for, adjust to, and adapt from challenge and change. So there's preparation, there's adjustment in the moment, and then there's adaptation, which actually happens over time. And so I always think about that, like proactively, reactively, what can we do reactively in the moment? How do we, you know, navigate challenges more effectively? And interestingly, all of these types of things we're talking about work. I mean, they're just simple recharge strategies. I have what I call the brain recharge process which is breathing, feeling, and focusing. And it's super simple. But if you connect with your breath, feel a positive emotion, gratitude being one of the easiest, and then focused on the energy you want to bring to the time that you have. You could do that literally in 10 seconds if you start training yourself. 
So that becomes, and it's BFF, which is easy to remember. Like I just gave you your new BFF, breathe, <laughs> feel, focus. So if I'm feeling agitated or irritable, which unfortunately happens more than I would like, I connect with my breath, I feel in my body the sense of gratitude, and I focus on how I want to show up. And that gives me actually like a direction of what is energy I want to bring. I actually want to bring calm, kindness, you know, whatever kind of anchors you have for that. But then also proactively, which is, I believe, that important kind of morning ritual again of 10 to 15 minutes of recharging your brain and focusing on breath, feeling gratitude, focusing on, you know, how, how you want to show up. That's the proactive part. And there's other strategies you can build into that practice. Uh, another one of my favorites is humor. So I kind of have like my, I call it the Heidi's high five. I have all these little things. You can tell all I do is sit around and think about like little, you know, five steps and three steps and BFF. But for me, every single day, it is meditation, movement, and mirth. Mirth being another word for humor. Mirth is the emotional experience of humor. Now, most people don't strategically get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to find something funny. But it turns out, if you do that, you start noticing more funny things in your day. Just like if you say, I'm going to find something positive or something to be grateful for. The more we focus on those kind of energy states we want to be in, the more we're preparing ourselves to be able to adjust and adapt more effectively. There's so many little things. I think the key for everyone listening is kind of go, okay, what resonates with me? What do I feel like is realistic for me to do? A lot of people love the humor part of that. Um, And I just realized that was only three. So the other two are music and massage. (laughs) So I happen to be a big massage fan, um, something I try to do every single week. And it's really hard because I always feel like, I should be, could be doing something else. It sounds funny for people to hear me say getting a massage is difficult, but it is because it feels like, who am I to get a massage every week? The reality is when I go, I make the commitment because I know I will show up as my best self if I make the investment in my own energy. And I can tell when I'm not doing it. I just feel like a different person. So I think it's making that commitment, checking your story too about like what you're saying about taking care of yourself and really coming up with something that works for you. That's where for me the brain boss thing comes in. When I do that, I just go brain boss. This is about me taking control, showing up as my best self. And now it becomes about something bigger than just like my own survival. So what I hear as you explain that to us was the quote by Henry Ford, whether you Mm. think you can or you think you can't, either way, you are right. Absolutely. And it really sounds like the points that you've laid out is we have to really believe Mm -hmm. that we have the ability to control that and that we can help to change the trajectory of how we feel. Yeah, and and that's really important what you just said, thinking and feeling, because a lot of times we beat ourselves up because we don't think it. I am not a very confident person. Like I wake up with all sorts of insecurities and doubts about what I'm doing. I have to train my brain to be in a confident feeling state, which is very different. So if you're having these thoughts, realize we have 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts every day, and many of them are not aligned with what you believe. It's your brain firing off signals to try to protect you. They're not always helpful. So you got to take control of that. Audience, I'm giving Heidi a high five right now because <laughs> I literally have the same challenges. And people mm-hmm. say, oh, my God, you look so confident and so yeah. this and so that. And thank God I'm able to show show something different than what I feel internally. 
But that's been a challenge is all of the negativity that I tell, the lies I tell myself yeah. every day, which yeah. is why I have to wake up every day. And I, I literally have five different pages mm-hmm. <laughs> that start with peace, that start with my faith, yeah. that start with how I believe in myself. And I have to say it every day so that I can walk out every new day and believe it. Because for some reason, I tell myself lies all day long, well, and then I believe it. Because you're hearing them all day long, <laughs> right? I mean, the media is telling you you're not good enough. You need to buy these products. You know, the world's coming to an end. Listen to all. Th- I mean, we literally wake up and are told, go back to bed. It is not safe for you to get out. And by the way, you can't handle it. That's why you need all to buy all this. I mean, it's unfortunate, but we all now know the secret to your resilience and confidence is taking personal control. What can you control? You can control your mindset, but it's not a flip the light switch and done. It is practice and training because you're compete. Your brain is competing with all of the noise from the outside, and you have to really align that with how you feel and your heart and what's important to you, if you're going to be able to to do the work that you're doing. So this is why you come to DRJ, okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you have to be here. So Heidi, can you talk about the importance of understanding the brain when we consider strategies for business continuity, disaster recovery, cybersecurity, emergency management professionals? Can you share a bit about this to our audience? Yeah, I would love to. So I spoke, I did the opening keynote at the fall conference last year and wasn't really sure, you know, how this all necessarily connected. And after my talk, I had the greatest conversations with people. I felt so inspired by what everybody's trying to do. And yet I felt so frustrated because it's like, you know, people in this kind of BCP space and and safety and risk management like all of these different facets of that are really siloed in what they're trying to do and they're they're fighting and they're trying to get resources and yet some of the people are like well we actually have the resources but we don't have the support and I started thinking about the system of an organization and it's kind of like the brain and how the brain and the body work together is it's so important that there is that alignment and also knowing that when it really comes down to being able to handle a crisis or a disaster, the brain is in control. So you can do all the training and run all the rehearsals and exercises that you want. When it comes down to it, the brain is going to react based on how that training has been implemented. And I felt like there was a missing piece of understanding that I wanted to teach people why we react instead of respond, how we can create communication and language that's more based on systems, and even how to get buy-in from you know senior leadership in the C-suite, where I spend a lot of time helping them understand why this is so fundamental. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today is actually how do you align with other business units in the company. It'll surprise people probably to hear this, but the well, or maybe it won't actually because I'm realizing this is common sense that's not always common practice. The best organizations that I work with have made resilience part of their brand. It's part of their culture. It's part of their identity. So it's like they're saying, we are resilience. And when I can work with a company like that, where employees are walking in and putting on almost the suit of armor of like, we're a resilience company, or we're a healthy company, or we're an energy-focused company, changes everything. And that really, you have to align personal mission with organizational mission. People need to understand why what they're doing matters. Because on a day-to-day basis, 
many of them don't feel like what they're doing matters. So to me, that kind of goes back to this whole idea of how do you align the brain and the heart? How do you align like the tasks and resource management with value and vision? And how do we get everybody on the same page with this notion of kind of enterprise resilience, training and development, leadership, branding, sales, marketing? How is everybody kind of embodying this idea of resilience and how we contribute to the greater good. And it may be difficult for people to see that in some of these different types of companies, but I can almost always find a way that a company is serving the greater good at bringing more calm, safety, peace, joy, happiness, whatever it is. And when you can align that, there's just this synergistic impact uh, of what we're doing. So I hope to make like the brain simple, practical, but that people can understand the framework of that so that they can then go back and use that type of framework as they look at their training programs and their, you know, BCP processes. So Heidi has just given us everything we need to manage once we have demand that exceeds our capacity. Yeah. And she's given us tips to hack our stress. She's given us strategies. We know the Heidi high five. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Now, do you have any published materials that you can share with our listeners and where they can find it? Of course I do. (laughs) So I will tell everybody, I wasn't planning on telling this, but I love sharing stuff. Uh, My book, and I don't know if everyone has access to this, but my book, Recharge, was uh, the book of the month for the book club, the DRJ book club. I believe it was in January. So people can actually go online and see some of the information about that. And I believe they can even download the book for free, um, which will actually take them through a very simple five-step assessment. I talk about all the different recharge strategies. I would love to share that with people because I was actually kind of nudged to write that book when everyone kept telling me they didn't know what I meant by recharge. It was like, okay, let me tell you exactly what you can do. Um, I have a couple other books as well that people can find on Amazon and my website. I have a podcast as well, the Stress Mastery Podcast. So I'm kind of all over the place. Um, Probably the easiest place for people to find me is at HeidiHanna.com. Guys, she is a New York Times bestselling author of many books. So just keep that in mind. It's going to be a very good read. Um, Social media, anywhere else our listeners can find you? Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter um, at Heidi Hanna, and I spend more time on LinkedIn and Facebook, which is at Heidi Hanna PhD. And there's a contact us form on, on my website. So if people want to get in touch with me and ask specific questions, they can do that there as well. She's giving us good vibes. My stress has already <laughs> gone down. I've got my strikes, my stress hack for the day. So, folks, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. We have two actions for you. Subscribe and share and look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asphalusadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. decoded.